0: I had an interesting experience on Friday. I was had the occasion to be on a school campus. It was it was a high school, but it was a very sophisticated campus with quite a, um, a gym and athletic department and quite a display there in the sports center of the history of the school. The school had been in existence for about 121 years. And so they had a very interesting display there, in the vestibule, of some of their former athletes. I'm interested in these kinds of things to see what records there were. I I was surprised to see some of the people who had attended that school. Um, uh, Jay, you'd be interested to see that this was the school where John Hanna played football in high school. And... I was looking at uh, trying to find the, the records, uh, the runners. They've had quite a running program for many years. I always like to see those stats, which may be completely unimportant to many people, but uh, it was on my radar screen and looking and examining that. And uh, I remember well when I was uh, probably about 14, 15 years of age, and I went out for track, and Coach had us all there talking to us about what we were called to do and what some of the demands would be. And then he went through who held what records and what events. Oh, that's all I needed to hear. <laughs> and this was what the school record was in, the, in, the, in those days, was the 440, 400 meters and so forth. That kind of thing just lit a fire inside of me. And to see someone, hear of someone who's gone before and established some kind of record and who stands out, it's it's an important thing. Most importantly, most importantly, it's an important matter in the faith. That's what we have in Hebrews chapter 11. I would love to take you through the entire book of Hebrews, but time does not allow me to do that. And we're going to just land on a portion of this chapter where you have these, all these individuals, men and women who are identified by name, many of them by name, and how they were extraordinary in that they lived by faith. Ah, what is this living by faith? Well, the way the book of Hebrews is advanced to that point is very important. We have to compress it. This book of Hebrews was written to Christians, Hebrew Christians, Jews who had come to Christ. And there, was a, there, there were those who were being pulled and tempted to go back into the old system, to go back into Judaism. It was a powerful pull. This was before 70 A.D. and the destruction of the Jerusalem. So all of the, the pageantry and the, all the, the pomp and the circumstance and the priesthood and the incense and the sacrifices and just the colors and the smells and the, the sense of security that all that brought, though it was in Jerusalem, The Jews were quite aware of of it. And so there was this pull on the part of some. And the writer of Hebrews works his way through this book. And he has two notes that he keeps going through. One note is that he sets up before them the loftiness and the wonder and the greatness of Jesus Christ the Messiah. Why would you ever think of turning your back on him? Why would you... Do such a thing. Consider who He is. And there are those comparisons that He makes. Greater than angels. Greater than Moses. Greater than the priesthood. Here is the Lord Jesus Christ. Would you turn your back on Him? Setting Him forth then as this incomparable Messiah of Israel. But then He does another thing. There are these famous warnings in the book of Hebrews. Five of them. And these warnings addressed to Christians to say, There are consequences if you turn your back on Christ. If you are pulled away from your allegiance to Him, there's a price to be paid. And in the tenth chapter, he lays down probably what is the most intense of all of them. And he says in that chapter that it is the seriousness and the danger of doing such. And he encourages them, and as you go on down to the end of the 10th chapter of Hebrews, he says that the just shall live, the righteous ones will live by faith. He goes into the book of Habakkuk and picks up that verse and quotes it and sets it before them. And with and in doing that, then he has established himself and prepared his readers. Actually, the book of Hebrews is almost some of, it's a, have likened it to a homily or a sermon because the way it is laid out with such a clear floor plan and application and such. And then he comes into this place where there is some very specific kind of application. What does it mean to live by faith? For that is which brings one through joyfully enduring, following after Christ, allegiance to him. You've got To live by faith. That's the key. And so what I want to do is set before you three assertions that he makes in the first three verses of Hebrews 11. And then we're only going to take, we'll take the first three in this hall of faith that he lays out before us here. We'll take the first three. That's actually the conclusion. But let's notice now what he says in these first three verses with regard to faith. The very first thing that he establishes for us is that faith is a certainty about unseen hopes and realities. You look at the statement that he makes. Now, faith is the assurance hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. That's an interesting word that he uses there for assurance, The word in the original means literally to stand under. So that which is the basis of something. So you have something that gives your feet for walking by faith steadiness and direction. This is what he's saying. Now, let's do something for just a few moments here with this first assertion. What is faith? Let's go after it positively first. What is faith? I like this. There's several ways that most of these, I'm going to give you several ways of saying it, but they all have a kinship, and I think you'll recognize that. It is that in the inner assurance that the things we hope for but do not see really exist. They're really there. And it's the conviction that the things that God talks about in his word are really there. You can count on it and have that assurance. Actually, faith is our response to God's revelation. Now you're thinking, why? This seems very simple. Um, but I will tell you, those, and there are those in our age who have really complicated things. But let's stay on the positive first. So what is biblical faith? It's the assurance and conviction that what God said is true and that it is to be acted upon. And that's two ways I've said it. I'll give you another. I have a Ryrie study Bible. I've used it here in the pulpit for, what, 34, 35, 40 years. I like his definition. He says, Faith gives reality and proof of things unseen, treating them as if they were already objects of sight rather than of hope. That's good. That's good. Now, I need to pause and make this clarification. This is not a complete definition of faith that's offered in these opening verses. It's actually a description of faith. Like, this is how it functions. Here are its consequences. Because it doesn't tell us what the object of faith is. And that's critical, isn't it? Wherein will I place my faith? In whom will I place my faith? Or in what will I place my faith? And it doesn't tell us about the basis of faith. It gives here a description of how faith works. That's important because I think though both of all aspects of this are obviously important. What We need to know how it functions. But first, let's consider some common misconceptions of faith. Oh, they're not hard to find. There is this idea... It's been around for some time. And that faith is a blind leap in the dark. You don't know what's out there. But, ah, you just gather up your courage. And you're hoping so much that what is out there is true and right. You just jump, but you don't know. I'll tell you what that view will do for you. Jumping off and leaping into the dark. It'll kill you. That's what it'll do. That's nonsense. It's foolishness. We don't live that way. You don't live that way with your medicine, I guarantee you. (laughs) Do you? And then the older you get, the more significant this becomes. You count it out. Well, did I take it this morning? Oh, my, I can't remember. So they give you little plastic boxes, you know, with the days of the week on there. And uh, so it gets, so it can get a little complicated. So you're, you're working. You're not taking a blind leap in the dark and you open your medicine cabinet. Eh, anything will do. They're all bottles. <laughs> Different colors. Hey, a little variety. Uh, we don't live that way. But oh, how we love to construct these theological definitions that essentially I think there is what's uh, behind it is a it's a not so uh, uh, deceptive move as it is just spiritual stupidity and that is trying to create some exits or some loopholes you know ah but we're not through faith is not unreasonable this is connected to that and the idea of faith is unreasonable, and unre- some of you are old enough to remember Francis Schaeffer. remember he wrote books. He wrote books, and he went around speaking, and with his Swiss clothes on, his little, um, with his with his goatee, and his knickers, and uh, and. Oh, he really served a very important function for us. This was back in the in the 70s when he really came out to the Christian public, and he wrote a book, God Who Is There. Now, some of us, when we first heard Francis Schaeffer and were introduced to his books, it was a bit um, daunting, because often a lot of, and sadly, a lot of preaching and such had been sort of just up on the surface, and here's somebody who was thinking deeply about things. But he said this. Here's my point. He pointed out that here is where the culture is. Now, he was seeing all this back in the 60s and the 70s, that it's like a two-story house. And on the bottom floor, you have the facts of science, and you have industry, and you have you have politics and, you know, this is the everyday world and that's where truth is. Ah, but in the upper story, that's where faith is. Faith is in that, that world where you have these spiritual motions and responses and, and that's, uh, oh, in the old idea of separating the heart from the head. That's where the heart is. That's where the feelings are. And that's where you meet God. And you know, a lot of Christians were snowed by, and still are, by this kind of thinking, this this cutting in two of thinking, putting faith up on this plane in the up in the upper story, where it's kind of the Alice in Wonderland world. You can make things up as you go along, but then you have the raw facts. More about that as we move on, but. Then there is this idea of faith that it is simply some kind of mental energy attempting to create reality. Like, hmm, I believe God is going to give me that car. I've been wanting a car, and that car just went by, and I had this deep impression. Oh, it looked good. That's the kind of car God's going to give it to me. And if you have enough faith... You can make it come true. You can make your own Christmas. And this appeals to a lot of people. Boy, it fits well into the culture. It's what you generate. It's all about the self. That I, by my own thought processes and mental energy, can create reality. Now, let's move on. But there is something closely connected to it. And that is that faith as superstition. I know it's connected to the others, but superstition, it's a a feeling and a faith in faith. It's like I heard someone describing this kind of situation. This person was going to a certain church and the people in this church, as they went out in their daily life, there was one occasion in a car, they said, well, they were driving along and. This person, one one person in the car said, well, we've got to be careful. Oh, we don't want to have a wreck today. And then this other person said, oh, don't say that. You know, the power is in the Word. And you can create some kind of curse that's going to come upon us. And you need to have faith. Speak the word of faith so that everything will fall in place, be right for you. Now, you, you know, you're... We're amused at these things, but I'll guarantee you, all of these things come at you all the time. I wonder, and to the extent that we've picked this up. So, what is it? I will tell you this. Unless God has spoken, there is no faith. You've got to have His Word. Not your impressions. Not your own thoughts. But what God says. There's nothing to believe if you don't have God's Word. He's spoken, scriptures, and revelation. Now then, I want you to consider something. As he goes on with this, he emphasizes the fact that faith is certainty about the future. You'll notice that in verse 1. What are the things that we hope for? Well, we hope for Christ's return, don't we? Let's think about it for a moment. We hope for our resurrection, our glorification, our reigning with Him, all the benefits that come with salvation. And that's what faith believes. That's not make-believe. I mean, it's not fairy tale stuff. Yes, it's real. And I came across this story. I found this in a commentary that... I've had for some time, it's a good little commentary, it's not well known, G.H. Lang. I like this little story. He says this, for what, is, for what that is unseen in future does he hope, the Christian? For the coming one and all that is to take place at his coming. And then he goes on to give this account where he was in India, C.H. Lang. This experience there. He said, "One moonlit evening, under the palms of Chagula, in South India, I explained this hope to a company of educated Hindus that Christ is to return from heaven, that a multitude of his dead followers will instantly leave their graves to meet him in the air, accompanied by a smaller number." who will be alive at that moment, that they will be transformed into the glory that he bears and will be presented thus before the throne of God, with, uh, before the throne of God, and we will return to this earth and be seen by men with um, only asking and hoping. And I asked the hearers what they were thinking about as he presented this program and the way in which it was laid out before them. And then an elderly Brahmin blurted out the emphatic word after he had described all of that wonderful, wonderful, wonderful prospects. He said, impossible. Ah, but the eye of faith is what the physical eyes to the body, the faith is to the soul. It sees it, counts on it. Believes in it. Now, notice also in verse one, Hebrews eleven one, there is certainty about the invisible world. That faith is the conviction that the things we do not see are real things. Now what's this mean? Well, it means that I can't see it, but I know that Jesus Christ has a high priestly ministry. He's praying for me and praying for you right now. I know that I have access to him in prayer. I know that I have the full forgiveness and pardon for sin. There are examples of this kind of thinking and the way of understanding our world. God's given. Remember that story of Jacob? What he saw in the angels ascending, descending on that ladder? And that spiritual order and that what you do see in this life is something that's being worked out by the realities in that invisible world. You remember Justin brought this to our attention with Elisha and all those chariots of the Syrians that were out around Dothan. And then he brought his, Elisha brought his servant out and he saw these chariots of fire out there. See, we don't see these things, but they're there. There is this invisible world around us. I've never seen an angel. I'm looking at one. (laughs) 51 years, almost. (laughs) But I've not seen an angel that God has created and that those angelic beings that live, move, and work. And you know, I know they're ministering to me, they're ministering to my family, I know that they're ministering to our church. I know, you know, go to the Bible and study angelology, and you can see how active angels are, but we don't see them. <laughs> and the occasions when people have seen them, they just melted into a puddle. Don't be afraid, they were told. But you see, these are realities upon which our feet, walking by faith, must rest and stand. It's like granite. You know, the city of Atlanta is really. On one great granite slab. Did you know that? You have Stone Mountain out there. And that's just a reminder. It has veins that go all under this area. Occasionally you'll see a place where you'll see a lot of, there's a little Stone Mountain out there in DeKalb. That's what we used to call it, out there in DeKalb County. You have all these skyscrapers and big buildings. I remember when they were building those tunnels from Marta. And if you were downtown having a meeting, you could hardly hear yourself at times. And you hear the boom, dynamite, granite, placing a city upon the rock, solid foundation. Well, so it is with us in these realities. And what should this do? If I may just pause and remind us this. That what these realities do it should if I am called to pray and that my prayers make a difference and God says Ask and you receive, seeking you will find, knock and it will be open to you. Why do I want to just play around and mess around and not pray and rush out the door and just give God a hey, how are you doing? But I would want to pray, wouldn't I? This makes a difference. God wants me to come to him, speak with him, commune with him. Those are realities. All right, let's consider what he says next. There's a second assertion that he makes here. That faith commends those who live by it. He says, for by it the people of old receive their commendation. That's the English Standard Version. Translating that word commendation is the, the, the Greek word, is the word martyreo. The word martyr comes from that word. And it's the idea of a witness that's born. And so often, as witness was born that ended in death, here's the word. It's used in here, verse 4, finally, verse 5, verse 39, chapter 12, and verse 1. So, what this is going to set us up for. When he says, for by it the people of all received their commendation. He's going to tell us some of these people. This hall of faith. And from verse 4 down through verse 38. And so what we're going to get then is this heroes of the faith in historical sequence. And their role models. Here are people who trusted God. And I'm going to bring three to your attention in a few minutes. They're people who trusted God. They are witnesses to us because God witnessed to them. And these were people who were certain about the future and the invisible world. They weren't nutcases. They believed God. God spoke and they acted upon it. Now let's consider something. Do you are questioned at this point? Do you want God's approval of your life in service? Would you be in this list? Would I be in this list of here they are, lived by faith? Oh, now we'll have a version of this at the judgment seat of Christ. That's a reality that we anticipate. There's going to be an assessment of our labors. How faithful have we been? There's going to be an assessment of our words, our deeds. What we've done with the gifts that God's given to us. Natural gifts. He's made you with some gifts and abilities. And you're our unique package. Everyone in here. Nobody else like you. God gave you natural gifts. And he gives to those who put their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. He gives spiritual gifts. You have a spiritual gift package. And there's a way that you can serve the body of Christ. That in many ways, it's unique. It's unique. There are, of course, common gifts for the body of Christ, but the way in which we serve. So here's faith then. God shapes our character. It molds us. It enables us to do God's will in the face of obstacles, as we, the, all the difficulties and troubles we encounter in this world. All right, let's go to the third assertion. He makes this one, verse 3. That faith is the cornerstone of the believer's world and life view. Get that word. By faith, he says. By faith. I put it, I'm putting in parentheses. Not by empirical observation. By faith. We understand that the universe, the word here is the word ionos. It's the ages. All it's wrapped up, every molecule in the universe. Space and time was created by the Word of God. We know who that Word was. It is. It's the Son of God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Nothing was made apart from Him. He made everything. All right, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. Now, I'm not sure what you're looking at, But I've looked at it, and I think it may be in the background of this slide, what looks like a cloud. Excuse me. Ah, yeah. Now, there'll be more of these. This nebulae, the Hubble telescope. What are we celebrating? The 25th anniversary of this thing. And these are clouds of hydrogen gas. And they can be more massive than 10,000 suns. And several times larger than our own solar system. It's clouds. Magnificent colors. And what put all that there? Who put it all there? God was responsible for this physical universe. This is what he's saying here. And that... Its continuing order is under the sovereign, the omnipotent hand of God holding it all together. Every discovery is that which God has put in place by a word. Now let's say it this way. This, it requires a faith commitment to God's special revelation to accept that the world was brought into existence by God. God. Very important to get this. Young people, now, if your mind's been wandering, I hope you'll bring it back here and pick up on this. I've got some things to say to you, especially to you in classrooms, whether elementary school or high school or college. Hold on. That faith is necessary to understand even the very first page of Scripture. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And you know what? I've got a little secret for you. Nobody else was present. Hmm. No one. No scientist. There was no, there was no discovery channel. Nobody was there. Oh, here it is. No. Nobody was there. God was there. And God said something. He spoke and said, this is how it came to be. And this is a basic plank in Christian theism. What is it? The belief that God created the cosmos, ex nihilo, Latin for, out of nothing. There was no preexistent material. And he created it to operate in this with a uniformity, a uniformity of cause and effect in an open system. No pre existing materials were used. Oh, we've got some Christians now. They're all charmed by and think that they're a little more accepted if they believe in the Big Bang theory. You know, that's been the theory. There used to be the steady state theory and then the Big Bang. And all of a sudden, everything just exploded. Well, I have a question. Where did that material come from wherein the bang, Big Bang, took place? How did it get there? God spoke the cosmos into existence. And he created it in just that nanosecond, spoke it. Now, I need to call your attention to a contrast here. That the basic plank in the evolutionist world and life view is a faith commitment. You with me? Listen carefully, you students. And here is the way, oh, my mentor, Dr. John C. Whitcomb. Some of you remember, he came here numerous times. He was was one of the... the prime movers the early of the creationist, modern creationist movement. He ended, Dr. Henry Morris. Dr. Whitcomb put it in these words. He says, by faith, and these are the words that an evolutionist should own up to, that by faith I, an evolutionist, understand that the worlds were not framed by the world of any God. So that what is seen has indeed been made out of previously existing and less complex things by purely natural processes through billions of years. Did you get it? It's by faith. It's a faith commitment that those assertions are made. And science can only deal with observations of what is. It can't cope with nothingness. Now, I've, I've heard some very intelligent scientists in debates try to defend that nothing is not nothing. And you know, it's like, what is, is. <laughs> but you know, when we, a lot of faith is not going to help you with a weak ladder. You can have all of the commitment you want. Oh, I had an experience with that one time. I don't e- it's hard to... T- it was dumb. And I had one of these six-foot ladders, and I thought it was an aluminum ladder, and I was trying to... Ah, oh, this this will do the trick. And I was working on the eaves, and I had my paint bucket in one hand and my brush, and I was... The next thing I knew, I was on the ground. Oh, Toma looked like a unicorn. Come up. At, uh, <clears throat> I was... Uh, in a mild state of shock, I had to crawl. Anyways, enough of that story. A weak ladder, a weak ladder will get you hurt. And the evolutionist has this weak ladder. I have something here before me that I thought I might put it out as some teasers to those of you who would like. You're in the midst of your education. As I said, elementary school, and it's coming at you. In high school, and college, it will really come at you. Where, and I came across this, uh, Marvin Olasky, and uh, an article that he has written about a book by Casey Luskin, L U S K I N, if you'd like to go online and check this. And he has graduate degrees in both science and law, and this is interesting. And does not depend on the high regard of the evolution lobby to earn his daily bread. And it goes on to describe who this author is. But anyway, he has this book, What's the Matter with Evolution? And in his chapter in this book, that more than myth, he gives five out of ten, mentions ten problems in evolutionary theory. I have to be very brief here, but I think it bears mentioning. I want to start because some of you have been, you're seduced by the evolutionary thought. You're in classrooms, and you're just given all this dogmatism. And if you even present the fact that it's a by-faith commitment and you're a Christian, you're scorned and you're ridiculed. Ah, Here they are. Problem one. No viable mechanism to generate a primordial soup. Problem one. Problem two. Unguided chemical processes cannot explain the origin of the genetic code. Problem three. Random mutations cannot generate the genetic information required for irreducible irreducibly complex structures. Problem four, natural selection struggles to fix advantageous traits into populations. Problem five, abrupt appearance appearance of species in the fossil, re- fossil record does not support Darwinian evolution. There were five. There are five more. So I put that out there. Some of you taking a note, and you'll check it out online, and follow through on this. All oh, my students, I'm so concerned for you. I pray for my grandchildren every day. So they're in the midst of all this, and uh, they have to have Christians have faith, and faith is not. It's not a fairy tale. It's based upon what God has spoken and what what He has said. All right, let's let's move along. Now, therefore, the non-Christian science, he's got a set of assumptions and presuppositions that reflect a profound faith commitment. I saw an interesting cartoon. I think it was in World World Magazine. I get this. It's every Friday, the Friday Funnies they call it. It's a cartoon, and it shows this one person looking through the lens of the W-O-R-D and um, looking through creation and some through the word, and then it shows the one who denies that the evolution is looking through the words. No, God looking through the glass lens. One objective and the other is not. No. So I have an interesting little story that I I came across in my my reading that I would uh, like to bring to your attention. And <clears throat> this is, uh, it'll speak for itself with regard to this whole matter of a faith commitment and that God is there and that he's spoken. I came across this little story. And it says, and, uh, <clears throat> But not all, praise God, many in fact employing the same scientific method, managed to deny the Creator. They are like the piano mice who lived all their lives in a large piano. The music of the instrument came to them in their piano world, filling all the dark spaces with sound and harmony. At first, the mice were impressed by it. They drew comfort and wonder from the thought that there was someone who made the music though invisible to them, somewhat above, yet close to them. They loved to think of the great player whom they could not see. Then one day, a daring mouse climbed up part of the piano and returned very thoughtful. He had found out how the music was made. Wires, wires, were the secret. Tightly stretched wires of graduated lengths that trembled and vibrated. They must revise all their old beliefs. None but the most conservative could any longer believe in the unseen player. Later, another explorer carried the explanation further. Hammers were now the secret great numbers of hammers dancing and leaping on the wires. This was a more complicated theory, but it all went to show that they lived in a purely mechanical, mathematical world. The unseen player came to be thought of as a myth, though the pianist continued to play. I like that story. Well, what do we? For the believer, we know who the pianist is. It's by faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command. But let's move on. We're running out of time. Now, what we've come to is a question. How should we then live by faith? I have two, starts three brief examples. The first is, and what we're doing here is just taking three, is that how do we swim upstream against the current of, a self, of self-worship in our day and where faith is distorted and it, uh, it, it, people are deceived with regard to what faith really is, faith in God. So, I want you to consider just three. First of all, he mentions Abel. He says, By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by his, accepting his gifts as through his faith. Though he died, he still speaks. Now, there's a lot we could say about Abel's faith here. Quite a story. But what we know is this is that Abel delighted in God and he gave God good gifts. His offering was accepted. His attitude was right. It was an offering of a slain, a sacrifice. Blood was shed. And Abel speaks to us of the importance of faith in God's sight. But it's interesting about Abel. Abel lived by faith and he died. He was killed by his brother. This sets up something very important as a theme through which is consistent with a the theme in Hebrews and in this 11th chapter. That faith sometimes changes circumstances. Faith sometimes does not change circumstances. You can have faith in God and you can, you can worship Him in the authentic way and stay true to His word And you can be killed for it. Christians by the thousands on this planet are being killed for it. Beheaded. Does it mean they have less faith? Not at all. Not at all. But that is the message, one of the messages here with regard to faith. What about those grieving parents? I trust and I think from what I've read, maybe at least one i have not read enough i'm sure but at least one of those five nurses killed down here on highway 16 it's just a horrific thing five gone just a matter of seconds how do you come to those moments how do you live through something like this and we perish the thought that we think that any of us would have to go through something but i will tell you It's faith that's rooted and confident and rooted in God. Steady, 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 steady. Abel died, but he was commended for his faith. Now, on to the next one, Enoch. By faith we please God. Not only do we worship God in his way, but we please God. By faith Enoch was taken up so that he he should not see death, And he was not found because God has taken him. Now, before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Sometimes faith does change circumstances, doesn't it? And Enoch, it says they couldn't find him. Where's daddy? I don't know. I haven't seen him. Have you seen him? Saw so him walking this morning. He was taking his usual walk. We think all all is well. He's gone. God took him. Extraordinary. Only he and Elijah had that ex- privilege to go in immediately into the presence of the Lord without death. So, yes, faith does make a difference. It diligently pursues God like Enoch did. And This pursues God because he knows, God, you are there. And I know you're there. You said you're there. And you've spoken as to what you are like and who you are. And that I know that you will reward for faithfulness. I can't put things together, Lord. I can't figure it all out. I don't understand these disappointments. I don't understand heartbreaks and why there can be these things that just seem to go right in the face of, of what I think I know. But, Lord, I trust you. I trust you, and I'm not going to be broken loose from that. Enoch, he lived in a very difficult world. Forget what you saw in the movie, Noah. Just forget it. (laughs) By faith, we expose the unbelief of the world. Noah. Okay. Let's look at this. By faith... Being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this he condemned the world and became as heir of righteousness that comes by faith. And what did Noah do? He, his words were spoken by faith and his works were an expression of faith. And what did it do? It says that it threw his life, Noah's life, threw into bold relief the unbelief all around him. Aha! Aha! We're really on to something there in this culture in which we live. What is the best way to stand and let your faith be seen to believer and unbeliever? That you're rooted and grounded in what God says and you will not be moved. Well, I can submit some things to you. Let's get down to that bottom story. All right? You remember the two stories? Let's get down to the bottom story. You young people, oh, a lot of your friends, sleeping around, sex before marriage, sex outside of marriage. Well, who cares? People, not even a second thought. Conscience doesn't seem to be anywhere in the area. A good conscience. And you say, no, no. I don't go to bed with any man or with any girl uh, before marriage, no. That's faith in God, because God has spoken to that issue. He's not been silent. That's faith. Or, oh, my. Oh, I just hear my friends talk about how ecstatic and wonderful it is. Oh, and, or, how, oh, how mellow marijuana. It just makes you so mellow. Oh, yeah, yeah, I won't make you lazy and make you stupid, but apart from that, go for it. <laughs> and so you say, I don't want to do that. I believe that God the Holy Spirit can work in my heart. He can work peace and joy and goodness. He can work in me these things. I don't need these artificial things to give me some high Oh, we have multiple issues. Since I'm so much out of time, I thought that maybe this might be the best way to do it, to show you that this is where it really meets. Faith, 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 faith. Laura's story, faith. For those of you who do not know what this is, this is a newspaper. See? works like this. Okay? Newspaper 101. And... This is the front page of today's paper. All right. Now let's just take it. I had this message prepared and I said, well, I'm going to see what's on the front page of the paper. Now I know some editors pick these things out and it doesn't represent what is necessarily most important, but still. Probe into $4,000 payout, relationships between public officials, contractor under FBI investigation. How would a believer live in the business world, in the political world, as a county commissioner, or whatever as a lawyer, whatever a Christian would be known for having integrity, honesty, whatever no matter what the cost? Yes, that's what I will take where I'll take my stand. That's living by faith, you see. Now this upper story, Lord's story, foolishness. It's down there on the first floor, real robust, strong faith. I will be truthful if it kills me or if I have to lose my job. Well, let's see what else we have here. Well, I spoke to this one. Five young victims, countless memories. Nursing students dreamed of service. We spoke to that one. Well, here's another one. Georgia's Great Divide. This week's arguments on gay marriage at the U.S. Supreme Court serve as a reminder of the issue's divisiveness. I read the first few paragraphs. This really ought to be on the editorial page, which, you know, nothing new there on this kind of issue. Well, let me say this. How does a Christian stand on this? I hear. I hear that some, some young people are wavering on this issue of gay marriage. I, I hear this rumor. Christian young people. I want to know, what's wrong with you? Do you not know what the Bible says? Now, this doesn't mean that you're some kind of a hate monger. I know that word is thrown at you. You're a hater. Hate speech. No, 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 no. To love people, love rejoices in the truth. You're kind. You're helpful. You're understanding. You're neighborly. You're polite. You're merciful. You're truthful. Yes, you are. But what God's word has said, it is said. God has spoken. That's not up for grabs. You may lose your job. You may be ridiculed at school. You may be on the outside. You may not be the hero in your circles. But by faith, I'm standing strong on what God says. And I will stand and I'll be moved. I appreciate what our young people are having to face. I really do. Beth and I had the experience of going to a grandparents' day on Friday. There were a lot of old people there. But uh, anyway, we went. And we went through all the classes. We have a 15-year-old granddaughter. And we went through all the classes. And I liked the way they did it. It wasn't just um, uh, Kool-Aid and a cookie. It was uh, you, we, we, we sat in each class for a short time. And we sat in the... Math class. And, oh, it was math class. We had this, the teacher was ready. It was algebra class. She was a ninth grader. And he had this equation up on the board and how you could, and he, he, he had this, he re- referenced the Marlins. I forgot who the one who hit the home run, but how you could use this uh, this equation to determine how far the ball went. You know, it's a, uh, the peak, the peak, the curve the speed, the whole thing, this math, math, algebraic equation. It was impressive. The calculator, using the calculator. Then we went into a biology class and there was the cell and the students had to act out how the human cell functions, the nucleus and getting making protein is the consequence of it, the process. And it was fascinating. And then we, well, we went to the history class. I already knew a little bit about the history class. My 15-year-old granddaughter, she's... She's, uh, she's alert. She, she's got a Christian worldview. And I told the teacher as we left, I said, yes, our daughter granddaughter, she is a good listener. And she keeps us up on what's going on, what you're saying in class. <laughs> and then we went to the uh, honors English class. Well, wow, this was fascinating. There they were, and they had all oh, technology on three different boards illuminated. They had the, uh, one of Shakespeare's, it was a, a, a sonnet. It's a little really high class love poem. <laughs> and they were having to break it down and explain it. And what this line meant, what this line meant, it's fascinating. Beth and I got through and said, You know, I'd like to go to school again. <laughs> it, was, it was enjoyable. But then I thought, There's this Christian young person, and probably some others. And they, what do they face? How do they think? How do they work through that environment and live strong for God by faith, by faith, and then to be? Oh, you may not make that, that uh, showcase out there in the lobby of the gym. You may not have a record to which people would say, "Whoa, it's a hero. But God said, Ah, you, my faithful servant, well done. You lived by faith. Come into the joy of the Lord. Does that drive you? Does that push you? Does that make you want to go the next, take the next step by faith and not by sight? Let's pray. Oh, my Lord and my God, I pray, I pray, I pray. In thanksgiving for your salvation. Thank you, Lord, for the Savior who came and lived by faith every step of the way, never sinning, never sinning. God in flesh, in Christ, and took the punishment that we deserve for our sin, judged in our place. So, O Lord, you've shown your love by the receiving by faith alone the gift of eternal life. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. And if there's one in this room now who has never put his or her trust in Jesus Christ for forgiveness of sin, and then to receive that confidence is to to see you one day, oh, not as judge, but as a rewarder. Save them. Save them at this moment. Thank you, Lord. Keep us faithful and strong. Keep us faithful and strong for your glory in Christ's name. Amen.